This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the flagship podcast preview, although we're kind of previewing where the Longhorns are in this bye week, and I'm joined, uh, of course, I'm Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined by Dan Neal, the All-American, the <laughs> offensive lineman, the two-time Super Bowl winner. He's on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame, the best player at Texas ever to wear, number 69. And Dan, love welcoming you into the flagship podcast. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I love doing this, Chip. You know that. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's always good to check in with, you know, it all starts up front. So we got to go <laughs> yes. into the trenches with the uh, All-American, Dan Neal. And, and Dan, obviously, we'll start with the offense because it's uh, the bye week. Texas is 5-2. and two. They have won a couple of big games in the Big 12, beating Oklahoma State on the road, beating West Virginia at home. Both teams winning records, both teams uh, highly rated in the conference in offense and defense, and good wins and much-needed yeah. wins, right? It is. I mean, it's kind of a funny team. This team could easily be undefeated, and this team could also easily have, like, two wins. You know, it's, it's been close all season long, but you're right. You are where you are, and they're 5-2. and two. And when you go into season, your goal is to get the Big 12 championship game. That is still in front of them. And, you know, the players know that. And they know that there's a lot of room to improve. So they're saying to themselves, we get better as we can uh, with what we have left. We have a chance to hopefully get a rematch with Oklahoma. So the last couple games we've seen, I'll let you tell me, but where have you seen the most improvement? Oh, gosh, defense. I mean, that's an easy question. I mean, you look at the defensive side of the ball, and Osai had his day against Oklahoma State, and then last week, Overshawn really played well. And that's a sign of a good team when it's not the same guy every week, when someone else different steps up. So now when we play Kansas, you're going to have a Kansas Jayhawk team saying, okay, we got to worry about Overshawn and Osai. How do we stop both these guys? So there's more for them to worry about now and every subsequent team. So you really like some of the things you see on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe for me, the most surprising thing over there is the back and the secondary. I mean, there's still some plays they're giving up. And you look at that West Virginia game. I mean, they, they score, Texas does. They get up 7-0 for the first time all season on the opening drive. And you're thinking, okay, give them a little bit of a pad here, let them work. And then Texas gives up a touchdown to West Virginia really on one big play. Uh, you know, that pass over uh, Stearns. If they can, you know, eradicate or get rid of that part, portion of their defense, I mean, that's a solid side of the football. Yeah, and and what you like is that when Keandre Coburn goes down with the ankle injury, three minutes, 20 seconds left in the first quarter, Tavondre Sweat comes in and has, yeah. has one of the best games of anyone on defense. Depth, right? You know, you got to have it, and they're starting to show a little bit of it. You know, Tom – 
our coach Herman has, has recruited fairly well since he's been here, and you're seeing a little bit of that, that depth now on that team. Yeah, so uh, special teams, I mean, it's gotten better, right? Ryan Buchevsky, unfortunately, we learned this week that <laughs> the guy, the punter, after, after breaking his collarbone against TCU last year and missing time, he's got a torn ACL uh, from his last punt in the fourth quarter against West Virginia, Dan. And he was on fire. I mean, his last 15 punts, he averaged 46 yards per punt, yeah. eight of them downed inside the 20 and a few of them inside the five, thanks to Josh Thompson. But special teams had gotten better to Sean Jameson, the 100-yard kick return. Yeah. I mean, so you got to like that too, right? A second phase improving. Yeah, you know, they got a new coach and, you know, full disclosure, he's a former teammate of mine, so I'm, I'm a big Jay Bullware fan. Uh, they got a new coach. He's trying to get what he wants done and you're seeing an, a, an improvement in the special teams as well through the season. It's just, you know, you know, the coaches are sitting in the locker room and they came and said, yeah, our kicker's done, for, our punter's done for the year. They're like, of course he is. It's that kind of year. You know, how do we lose our punter? How do you lose your punter? <laughs> Have you ever lost a punter, Dan? No, I don't think so. I mean, you played eight years in the NFL. You played for Texas. You never lost a punter. No, in my NFL career, I played with a guy, Tom Rowan, and Tom never exerted himself hard enough to get hurt. So, no, he never, no, oh, never lost a punter. Yeah. yeah, Tom is a smart guy. I'll let those big guys handle it. Um, exactly. All right, well, Dan, that leads us to the offense. And, of course – Let's start up front. What are you seeing um, from the offensive line as this season has gone on? Well, the, the biggest difference uh, up front that we saw against West Virginia is incorporation more of a gap scheme. And, and you saw, you heard a lot about this thing. Everyone kind of saw it. Texas, when it comes to offensive line, there's really two types of scheme when it comes to blocking. It's zone or gap. Rarely do you do both. Most, most teams have both in their offense, but they usually are one or the other. Sometimes the defense will dictate which one you, you decide to go in the game with and use a little bit more, but usually you hang your hat on one of those two. Texas has been his own team. I saw a predominant number of gap plays in, in that first run by Robinson in the first quarter's case in point, Angulai pulls. That's usually the sign of a gap scheme. Gets a, a, you know, a nice seam. Robinson hits it full speed and big game and then you saw a few more of those and he Robinson's starting to show his sign and so you got a little bit excited about the run games I think it was better than it's been all season incorporating that gap scheme so obviously now you got a bye week does Texas stick with that or is that just a West Virginia thing I you know that's what I obviously that's what I'll be watching against Kansas to see what they come out doing uh, I personally think at this point maybe the gap scheme might be a better uh, direction for the for them to go in yeah I mean that's a that was a nice counter play and and you know whatever's working. I was surprised yeah. that that Bijan Robinson only got twelve carries. You, I mean, as a big guy up front, you love to run, you love to run block, and you love it when a back is hungry and hot. And man, after that eighteen yard run where he he had the spin yeah. move and he stiff armed two guys for about ten yards. Um, Man, I, I thought just, just hand him the ball and, and ride him today, right? Yeah, you know, you always hear that term, go with a hot hand when it comes to running back position. And what you saw in that 18-yard run is that's what the definition of a hot hand is. I mean, he was, he was coming today. And I was surprised as you were. And I think a lot of people, they didn't hand the ball to him some more. 
Uh, that being said, I, I love Roshan Johnson. So I'd love to see him get his touches as well. But sometimes when a, a young guy is playing as well as Robinson was in that game, you just kind of leave him out there and let him go. I, I know after the game, Herman said that they didn't want to overwork him being a freshman. And, that, you know, that's obviously – he's a head coach. That's his reasoning. Uh, at this point in the season, though, I, I think you, you give him those 20, 30 carries potentially in that game. Yeah, I mean, that uh, that's a positive, too. I mean, there's nothing negative about running the ball 40, 50 times in a game. Your offensive line's gaining confidence. Your quarterback yeah. – his best friend is a running game and and you may have a superstar on your hands and you just need to he's clearly exploding for a run every four carries might be time to see what he can do with 20 25 carries i i think he may see that you know you got two weeks to get ready for kansas um he showed him some things they may be trying to get him some more carries in practice and kind of get him ready to, to go you know through the home stretch and see if he can really be the guy uh, I, I certainly hope so. You said 40, you know, 40 carries a game. Shoot, you know, usually I, I, you always kind of say 90, 90 offensive plays a game, somewhere in that area. I'd be fine with running it 90 times. <laughs> right. Especially when you're, exactly. you're ripping off <laughs> games like that. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, Dan, that leads us to the passing game. And obviously, Sam Ellinger's numbers aren't what they've been. Everyone's got an opinion I think he's been hurt. I mean, he's been yeah. playing playing hurt. Um, the injuries are, are documented. And I, I learned uh, today that Ellinger really didn't practice on Tuesday or Wednesday the week of the TCU game or the, the week of the Oklahoma State game and has been limited, uh, was limited in the lead-up to Oklahoma as well as the lead-up to West Virginia with a calf and right foot injury. So what, what do you think? I mean, he's missed throws. There's no question about it. His accuracy is way off from his first two games when he was averaging, uh, 71.2%. He's down to 53.7% completion. These last, uh, five games. You know, Sam, the last couple of games has looked more like he did as a younger quarterback, and that was that completion percentage. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know that he has gone from like the 50, 60, 70% completion range as his career has progressed, seems like, each year. And you're right, early in the year he was around the 70%. And for me, the indicator for Sam is that deep ball. That's where I think he struggles the most with, and that's one of the harder throws for a quarterback to make. And that's where I think he's not quite connecting with his guys, be it the, the number of reps with the receivers, because they do have a bunch of guys, uh, you know, and finding those two guys that are his guys, uh, him being hurt. Uh, and then also, guys, uh, you know, the, the thing that I will talk about is the position you put your offense in is when you're third and 10, there's not a whole lot of options left to do, and you're going to throw the football, and that's a tough 10-yard, 11-yard throw, and the defense knows you're doing it. Those are some of the tougher positions to be in. This offense needs to find a way to get third, two, four, third, third and two, third and four, somewhere in that range. And now you got a two-dimensional offense, and that takes a lot of pressure off the quarterback. And you can go to the slant routes. You don't have to throw the 11, 12-yard throws. So um, I, I, I think that will take a lot of pressure off of Sam uh, and not ask him to do, uh, you know, everything. Early in the year, he was doing everything. Now he's not. And to your point, it probably is some injury and some other factors. Yeah, and obviously the the slot receiver position has been a revolving door, um, one after the other. They've missed time. Jake Smith, Jordan Winnington, Brendan Schooler, 
So we'll see if uh, if these guys, Jordan Whittington should be back for Kansas. Jake Smith's obviously picking up the production and Schooler's now healthy too. So um, we'll see if that settles down. Dan, a couple more things. Let's stay in the offensive line because uh, Derek Kerstetter makes the move from right tackle to center. You also played guard and center. Um, talk about that move, what you're seeing from Kerstetter. Obviously, he's had some penalties. He's playing a position he'd clearly rather not be playing, but he's doing it for, <laughs> for the team. How's he doing, Dan? Uh, you know, center's a tough position. Uh, messing with that ball is in the annoying as hell. Uh, I never really liked it a whole lot. Um, I, I think he's he's doing fine. You know, again, it's, it's kind of everybody up front isn't playing their best. There's no question about Kerstetter. He plays hard, always has, still is. Uh, look, the, the, the penalty thing is, is an issue. You, you got to be smarter because some of those have been some significant penalties and, and they're really kind of what I'd call unnecessary penalties. Uh, there, there's no question about the guy's passion and his will to win. He just seems to be smart. And, uh, and, you know, I never like to single out anybody too much. It's not just him. It's everybody up front needs to find a way to, to play better. So, uh, Junior Angelau, I think, has had a patella um, this year. He's playing through. Um, what are you seeing from him? What are you seeing from Cosme? Well, you know, Cosme, just Cosme and Angulai. Cosme is a guy that's got a ton of talent. You know, you recognize that really early uh, when he started playing. Uh, to give you an idea, remember Cosme and Kirkstead are in the same class, and Cosme knocked Kirkstead out of starting lineup the second year. And Kirkstead was a returning starter, played as a freshman. So that shows you how he's come on. Uh, he's got a lot of talent. Uh, what I and he's played well. I'm not. I'm not knocking him at all. The one thing I'd like to see out of Cosme is a little bit more of a finish out of him. Just, you know, uh, be mean, you know, essentially. Uh, between the whistle, not like what Kersetter does sometimes, but, you know, play physical between the whistles and really try to show everybody that you can be a physical football player because you hear about him in the draft status and he's, you know, a, a first-round projection guy. Uh, he'll make himself a lot of money to up that board if he starts to show some real physicality at that position. What about on the right side where you've got Denzel Oak for fifth year guy and Christian Jones at right tackle, a, a young guy. What, you know, what are the ups and downs of what you've seen there? So to me, that's a side that, you know, is shown a ton of improvement based on what I thought they would be. Cause Okafor is a guy that we've watched for years and he has definitely had his struggles. Uh, he likes to lean way too much. He's getting better about that. But you'll see some breakdowns on that side. Guys just miss. You know, you don't see that as much on, you know, with Cosme and Angula. Uh So those two guys just need to get more consistent. Uh, I thought they did against West Virginia. You notice Sam had more time to throw. He just obviously struggled to make those throws. But the time was there. Didn't seem to have as much pressure as he's had earlier. But you just can't have those breakdowns. Because when you're a quarterback, you drop back. You're counting on your four or five guys that, that block the guys that they're supposed to, and you're looking for that free guy somewhere else. But when those guys aren't blocked and they're free, you're not looking for it, and they can get some good shots. So they need to hold up and let Sam have confidence in setting up. If you remember Sam's freshman year, I mean, he's just getting tattooed every which way. He didn't know where it was coming from. Uh, I felt early in the year he was a little more comfortable. It started getting hit a little bit. The police percentage goes down. He starts getting injuries. So they got to find a way to give him some time and, and protect him. What um, I'm going to ask you about Jay Bulware in a second, but 
who surprised you the most on offense and who surprised you the most on defense? Ah, uh, that, that's a good question. Um, it's, shoot, you know, it's kind of hard to say because I, I think on the defensive side of the ball, it's really hard to say surprise, but I really think Asai has really shown me a lot. And I think he has definitely demonstrated his capabilities. Um, What's, that, what specifically, Dan? Because you're an offensive lineman. You had to go up against those guys. What specifically has impressed you about Osai? Well, I, you know, obviously he, he's not a, a power guy, but he's definitely shown some strength to where if an lineman's off balance, and it's kind of like, look at Vaughn Miller. It's an example of Vaughn Miller's not a power guy, but he is so fast outside that he gets guys off balance and he can feel it and he comes right into them. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're 500 pounds and the guy in front of you is 150. If you're off balance, anybody can throw anybody. And Osai, to me, starting to get that feel for that and then gets engaged when he feels those guys off balance and is able to kind of power through them with the speed on the outside as far as a pass rusher. And, and I mean, just that, that little extra, when you saw him chase down an Oklahoma State quarterback in the game, that's the little extra. That's the little extra I want to see out of everybody on that team. You could see it when he was going. He was not going to be denied on that, that sack. He was going to finish that football game. And that's the kind of attitude that you really – you don't really know until you start to see it show on the field. And that would be the surprise about Osai. I didn't know he had that in him, and he's certainly shown that. Uh, as far as the offensive side of the ball, the surprise for me would probably be Robinson and what he showed against West Virginia. I, I think for us, we, we felt that – you know, Sam would be Sam, and, and the receivers, I, I was hoping to see a surprise. I think Wington and Smith have a ton of talent. They just haven't been out there enough. I, I thought Josh Moore at this point would be, a, you know, a go-to guy. He hadn't really shown that. Eagles hasn't shown me, you know, that go-to guy either. So the guy that I think's got the, the big upside that I'm kind of excited about right now is probably Robinson. Yeah, and you've you've blocked for Ricky Williams, Priest, Holmes, um, you know, Terrell Davis, Hall of Famer. What what do you see in Robinson that sets him apart? Uh, you know what I I don't know if it, it sets him apart as much, but the, the things that I need to see out of a back and that is hitting the hole with some physicality and speed. If you watch Ricky run, I mean that guy got the ball and he made a decision. He was going. There wasn't anything to stop him. And, and that and that was a gap scheme they used to run back then with Ricky, and he did it so well. Um, that's what you have to see out of the bag. Robinson was showing some of that. And then other times that they do bounce, because you'll have some areas where they'll bounce. And then once he gets outside against those smaller guys, he needs to run them over. You, remember this, it, it, offense, defense is sheer numbers. A running back has got to make a safety miss. Uh, there's no one there to block them. The running back's got to do it. And it's either you run them over, you run around them, or you do something. And you want to see a back make safeties miss. I saw a little bit out of Robinson last week. Yeah, that's great stuff. Great stuff right there from from Dan Neal. All right, we'll come right back with Dan Neal. Don't go anywhere. It's the flagship podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so Jay Bulware, <laughs> um, former teammate of yours, he was on the offensive line at Texas, even though he's uh, been coaching 
uh, running backs and special teams and tight ends. But um, tell us about Jay Bulware. What what kind of what kind of player was he? What kind of guy was he when he was at Texas? And uh, and then we'll we'll follow up. Well, Jay is kind of an interesting story. Um, he was a guy that came in the class before me, uh, and that was a highly recruited offensive line. I think that five of the top linemen in the state commit to Texas. Jay was one of those guys. Uh, he came in, and I, I want to say he was starting to play a little bit, and then I had forgotten at this point, but he had some injury, whether it was neck or something, that he could no longer play. And so the coaches did a great job of keeping him involved, and he kind of – transition to a, a coaching role, player coach role almost, uh, working with guys. And he just stayed in coaching ever since. And so he got a great exposure as a player to it. And he's continued on it. And uh, Jay's a great guy, smart guy. He's done really well wherever he's been at. I mean, he had a ton of success at Oklahoma. Uh, I was just glad to see him get out of Oklahoma. It's tearing me apart in that, that ugly maroon color, whatever they have. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to see him back home in Texas. And it, it, I, I mean, look, I, I was like, I want to see him do so well. And when they struggled against Tech, I'm like, oh, no. But I, I think he's kind of got the guys pointing the right direction and, and got him doing what he wants him to do now. All right. So um, have you stayed in touch? Have you all uh, communicated uh, since he's taken the job? I, I sent him a text congratulating him. Uh, we, we talked a few times a couple of years prior to that over different things. And, um, I, I don't text coaches during the season as a rule of thumb. They're busy, <laughs> so they don't want to hear from me. Uh, but I'll probably check in with them after the season and, and see how he's doing. Uh, but I, it's, it's, it's look, I, for him, as I do all the coaches, man, they've been in, in under pressure since day one, it seems like, this season. And uh, it, it's a tough thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for the players and the coaches that, you know, they can string together some wins here and have a, a positive year and a championship year. All right, well, we'll end it on this with Dan Neal, the All-American, and um, um, the turnaround, the possibility of winning these final three games against Kansas, Iowa State, and K-State. It would put Texas in the Big 12 championship game. What do, you, what do you think? What are you seeing that makes you think they can or cannot do this? Well, they've won two in a row. That tells me that they have a shot. You know, you can talk about, you know, the matchups, but it's really not fair because what this team is like in three weeks, I mean, I look, I, let's not kid ourselves. They're going to be Kansas. Kansas isn't any good. Uh, where they'll be after that game uh, when they get ready for Iowa State and Kansas is different from where they are today. They definitely need to get better to beat those two teams back-to-back, -back. Uh, but they can, and that's the whole point. And we know they have some talent. They've shown some signs. Everybody gets healthy. They start on a roll. You know, I'll go back to uh, 90, shoot, 96, yeah, <laughs> the years run together. When we won the first Big 12 championship, we were a struggling team. But fortunately, the, the Big 12 South at that time was so pitiful that we were still in the hunt. And all we had to do was win out. And, man, we got hot late. We, we, we beat A&M like 55 to 15 to get into the game. Then we go play Nebraska and win that football game. Because we were playing the best football we had played ever. And that's all that mattered. We were hot at that time. If this team gets hot at the right time, uh, they could win out. And, and that's really what it's about. I mean, I, I, I get a little frustrated when I hear fans talk about, you know, winning national championships and, you know, where they are in the, the, the rankings. I'm like, that's – college football is different. It really doesn't matter. What matters is winning the Big 12. And the rebuttal will be, well, I, I want to do more and win Big 12. Well, you know, Texas has gotten three Big 12 since 1996, right? I'll take a Big 12 championship right now. 
Yeah. You know, I want to see that. And then let's talk national championships once we start doing that, once we start winning those champion, the conference championships. And that's still out there for this team. And as a player, you know that what you have, what you want is still in front of you. Uh, when that's not there, it's a tough season. So that's still there for these guys. And, it's their, you know, they control their destiny, which is a great thing. All right, Dan. We got to go back in time. That 1996 Big 12 title game, you know I love talking about this thing. So <laughs> <Me too. laughs> on, on, your, on your list of games that you remember, and you, you won two Super Bowls, so you've yeah. been in multiple playoff games, AFC championships. Where does that Big 12 title game hit you on the, on the memory list? Uh, easily top five, maybe, you know, top two. Um, you know, I, I'm a little bit more, uh, I, I probably cherish my Texas games a little more than the Denver games, although I love Denver and it was a great time. And you're right, being in two Super Bowls, playoffs run, I, I was extremely blessed. That was special. But for me, it, it was really a lot to do with Texas. You remember when I came to Texas in 92, they had just hired a new coach. Uh, Texas was not very good. And I wanted to, I wanted Texas to be great. I wanted to leave Texas, winning championships, getting Texas back on top. And really that Big 12 championship was a culmination of that. I and mean, that was our third conference championship in a row, uh, first year of the Big 12. And my thought was, hey, we own the Southwest Conference. Now we're going to own the Big 12. That's why it's so hard for me to think we've only won two cents. But uh, that was a, a special game considering we were going against, hey, you know, think about this for a minute. Nebraska was a two-time defending national champion. They had lost one football game in three years earlier in that season to Arizona State, who won the Pac-12 and played in the uh, Rose Bowl with Jake Plummer, very good football team, on the road. And they had already bought tickets to the Sugar Bowl to play Florida State for the national championship. And we came out of nowhere. And really, if you watch the game, we beat them. It wasn't close, it wasn't a fluke. You can talk about that one play, but we really just outright beat those guys. And that was really a, a very satisfying feeling. And I think about that game because we went to the Fiesta Bowl and looked like chumps against Penn State. And let's forget about that. So focus on the Nebraska game. Well, and, <laughs> and they, they, didn't, they couldn't say they didn't hear you coming because James Brown said, I don't know, we'll beat them by three touchdowns. And it made headlines in Lincoln. So even with that, and then you come out and you beat them. I mean, you beat them by double yeah. digits. That was the exciting thing. I think when that came out in Lincoln, they were laughing uh, and we believed it. And then I think when that game was starting to play out, I think those Nebraska players didn't know what, had no idea. They didn't expect that. Uh, they didn't expect Priest Holmes. He was a nobody and he had a, a coming out party against Nebraska. Uh, I don't think, obviously they were not ready for what we brought that day and, and it showed. Yeah, that, uh, that's one of the all-timers. Uh, just a fantastic game. Whenever it comes on the history channel, I mean the Longhorn Network, I'm always, always watching it because it's such a good game, you know? You know, I think I've told you this. I had never watched the game uh, until maybe five, six years ago. And, I, and I, someone gave it to me. I was on a plane. I had nothing to do. I watched that thing, and I, I put it up. I was like, that was one hell of a football game. <laughs> It's, yeah. really, it's a great game to watch. It really was. And watch who is the pulling guard on Priest <laughs> Holmes' last touchdown because number 69 annihilates um, a Nebraska defender so that Priest Holmes could walk in from that, uh, for that 12-yard touchdown run. Yeah. That, uh, that's our man, Dan Neal. He was always <laughs> low man wins, and he was yeah. – 
he was the low man and uh, and a finisher. And uh, and Dan, man, it's always great uh, talking Texas football with you. I know our our members at Horns twenty four seven love uh, the communication, and uh, we appreciate you posting on the site because uh, the fans the fans love it. Any other thoughts that you have right now? on the Longhorns uh, as, as we head into this off week and then the three games uh, home stretch? Uh, you know, I'm a little more philosophical about football than I am X's and O's. And, and I think what, you know, my thought is on this football team is I want to see how badly they want it. You know, I, I think if they want it bad enough, they can go get it. And um, that's what I'll be watching. And, and to relay that, you know, I talk about finishing plays and the way Osai played against Oklahoma State and, over Sean again, you know, these little things that put it all together one day, you know, and kind of that Nebraska game, we put it all together one day. Um, and if Texas can find a way to do that, I, I think this team might, may have a chance to win out. There he is, Dan Neal, the All American, the two time Super Bowl winner with the Denver Broncos, and uh, all around great guy. And of course, on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. Congratulations again on that, Dan. That's that's a great honor. I had a chance to go to that college football hall of fame in Atlanta a couple of years ago. And it is, that's Mecca for college. football. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's an, it's an awesome place. Uh, I went to it when I was in South Bend. Uh, but yeah, just, just to be on the ballot, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled very much. It's very, uh, very, a huge honor. Huge. Well, it's well-deserved and, uh, and stay safe and keep the, the faith, my friend. We appreciate <laughs> Dan Neal and we appreciate you listening in to the flagship podcast preview with Dan Neal. Um, For Dan Neal, I'm Chip Brown. Until next time, stay safe and keep the faith. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, Two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.